The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Well, um, welcome to OPCC and uh, happy Labor Day. I uh, hope you get an extra day off this week. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 11. 1 Samuel chapter 11. So um, on, on our time off, uh, we put... 8,000 miles on the vehicle. My arm, like, is bothering me still. Like, it's just in a cramp. Like, I, I don't even know if I can preach today. Like, it's just... Uh, but uh, anyway, as we, we actually tr- almost traveled completely, uh, Abby and I did, across the entire country as we went all the way to F- Florida on the East Coast, and then we went to uh, Montana uh, on, the, on the West and so lots of miles on the vehicle. While we were in Florida, we were staying down in Sarasota County, a town called Inglewood, Florida. Um, and we, were, you know, we, were, we had a nice house. We got a great deal on a house there, and we're there for a week. And we would go to the beach. We were about 10 minutes from the beach. And so um, we went to, one day we went to a, a beach uh, called Boca Grande. And it, it is like you drive a, 10 minutes from where we were staying, and you kind of go out on this peninsula type thing and on the on the west side of Florida and, and man we were way out at the tip of this if it was kind of like an island because you had to go across a bridge and so we're we're way out there and so typically like I we spend a lot of water a lot of time in the water as a family we go to the lake a lot we have a boat and so I kind of have a rhythm that I always wear my swimming trunks and then over the top of my swimming trunks I wear my shorts that way I keep all my stuff in my shorts, and then when I'm in the boat, if I want to jump in the water, I just take off my shorts and jump in and, and put my shorts up on the dash of the boat or where, wherever. And so on this particular day when we went to the beach, um, I don't know why, but I didn't do that. Like, um, I think I didn't have my swimming trunks on or anything, so I don't know, but I changed in the car, got out, um, and went to the beach, and so we're out there, and we're, you know, we're having a good time, and uh, it comes time, like these little no see they have these no see and you can't see them, but you can feel them, okay? They were eating us alive, and so we were wanting to get out of there, and we went back to the car, and it was locked, and I remembered I put my shorts in the back, and so I do what any good father and husband does in a moment of crisis like that. I looked at Abby and said, did you lock the door? <laughs> and she was like, no, I didn't lock it. And I, man, I, just started, I started remembering, like, man. And so, uh, like, we got the car unlocked because we had OnStar. We called them. We were doing the free trial thing <laughs> to get us through the trip. They unlocked it. And I grabbed my shorts, and there were no keys in them. And so I started, like, playing back through my mind, and I realized I'd put the, sh- the keys in my swimming trunks pocket, and I was snorkeling, and I was finding these big shells for the kids, and they thought it was awesome. And you're so buoyant in the water that um, it's hard to go down. So I was putting rocks in my pocket to get me down. And so when I came out, I just took all the rocks out and like the keys were there somewhere in the ocean. So here we are stranded out in the middle of nowhere. The park is about to close. 
They're going to lock the gate. There's no one there. I'm on the phone with AAA, and they finally tell me, yeah, we can get a locksmith out there. We're going to have them call you. And so the locksmith, um, after they closed the park, I talked to the park guy, and he said, I'm going to dummy lock it so you could get in and out. And so we're waiting on the guy to call us back, and he calls back, and he says, yeah, I, I, he says, you're way out there, aren't you? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm way out here. He says, I can't make a key for that vehicle. I'm like, ah. Oh. So I'm called two or three. No, nope, we can't get out there. We couldn't make a key for that anyway. I'm having a difficult time um, getting a hold of anybody. It's on a, on a weekend. Uh, and so I, uh, I call my buddy who lives there in, in uh, Inglewood. And so he comes out to get us. And, and he's going to take us back. We're just going to have to leave the vehicle there. I, got a tow, uh, I was going to have it towed back to the place where we were staying. He comes out to get us. When he gets there, he brings a light. He says, man, I brought my light. He says, underwater light. It said, figured you'd go out there. You know, you might see him shining. This is your best opportunity to find those keys. Like, okay. And so I go out there and put my swimming trunks on and get back out there in the water. And I swim out probably, I don't know, from here to the back uh, to the doors and I take me one dive down, and I go down as far as I can. I know I'm in the area where I was looking for shells, and, and I go down, and, man, I look up, and all of a sudden, the biggest fish I've ever seen in my life goes, <laughs> and I went, and I turned around, and I swam back, and I come out, and they said, did you find them? I said, no. I just saw the biggest fish I ever saw in my life, and, and, uh, and, and so my buddy says, well, he says, well, go back out there. I said, I will buy a new truck before I go back out there. <laughs> and so come to find out, um, he asked me what it looks like. And I'm telling him what the fish looks like. I just saw the back part of it. You know, I saw about this much of it, okay? And it was, it was skinny. And I says, had black and white stripes on it. He said, well, there's only one thing that could be. It's tiger shark. <laughs> And so anyway, I'm like, oh, my goodness. And he's like, yeah, I wouldn't have went out there at night. <laughs> so now that I've gotten back, I started watching. We were watching on some shark shows. And it's the second most dangerous fish in the ocean. And they come into the shallows and feed at night. And here I was looking for keys. But anyway, to finish the story, um, man, the next day I got up and I, I started. It was Sunday and I started calling. And I called, and I was calling people out of town, and like, yeah, I'm, man, I've been working all week, and I told my wife, like, I'm, I'm not doing anything, and, and I can do it on Tuesday. Well, we were supposed to leave on Monday. Um, and so I was, man, I was just, just getting discouraged. I'd called everybody and um, couldn't get anybody to make a key. And I'm like, what am I, I don't want to have to stay an extra day, and it was just going to throw everything off. And so finally, man, finally this I called this one little bitty um, locksmith, uh, and, and, and this lady answers the phone. And she's like, oh, yeah, I can make that key. And she makes the key, brings it to the house. It, only, it was going to cost me. The other people were saying, even though if I had to wait, they were going to charge me like two or 300 but It's over $200. She does it all for $100. Um, which AAA is going to, you know, they're already said they'd reimburse me up to 100. And so this little woman, man, like she was my deliverer. Like had it not been, like she was like a godsend. And I, I was just pressing through all of these challenges in the midst of that. 
and, and thank the Lord for this little lady who came and made this key for me and got us all back on track. We were able to get out of there just like we wanted on schedule, and, and so we were excited about that. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today is how not to lose your keys. No, I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about deliverance, okay? Because deliverance is a very important thing in the kingdom, and, and fear keeps people um, from really following the Lord. It's like there's fear that keeps people from making a commitment to Jesus and believing, like afraid of what that will mean, afraid of what my friends will think, afraid of my life totally changing. So a lot of times fear will keep a person from surrendering in the first place. Or if a person has surrendered to the Lord, fear will keep us from stepping into obedience when the Lord asks us to do something. Like maybe as Shay was talking about on the video, we're getting invited into a discipleship group and, and fear will keep us from saying, Saying yes, fear of commitment, fear of uh, giving up part of my schedule. Um, fear will keep us from leading a discipleship group. I'm, I'm afraid that I can't do it. Fear will keep us from beginning the disciplines um, spiritually that help us grow. It's like um, there's so many different things. And so fear will keep us from really experiencing the blessings of the Lord that he wants to pour out in our lives. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, um, that he has come to give us an abundant life. He says, the enemy, the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy. So there's an enemy out there that's trying to take this life away from us. And Jesus has said, I've come to deliver you from that experience and give you this abundant life. And so that he is our deliverer and we can experience deliverance in all kinds of uh, different ways. And, and the only way we can do that is by stepping into our fear and overcoming some of the things that keep us from moving forward in life. And so here's the deal, is all of these things that we talked about in fear, they really add up to, um, a lot of them I think add up to potential. Like we're afraid of our potential. We're afraid of our abilities to be able to do some particular thing. But here's what we learn as we're looking at um, the book of Samuel, is that the Lord always evaluates obedience, not potential. Like, that's what it's all about in the kingdom of the Lord. The kingdom of Christ is all about obedience. Not, it's not about our potential. As a matter of fact, the Lord delights in taking people with little to no potential and doing amazing things with them. That's why he didn't choose the elites when he was putting his uh, group of uh, apostles together. He chose the, the non-elites. He chose the guys who were just doing uh, the everyday blue-collar stuff, the fishermen. You know, some of them probably had a little bit more professional jobs, but he, he chose the nobodies. As a matter of fact, he chose the rejected ones, the ones who couldn't make it um, among the Jewish community through the schools that they had in Judaism where they would teach them. And, and the best of the best got to be picked by a rabbi, and they would go on and spend their lives teaching the oral traditions of the Jewish um, nation to the people about God. And so Jesus chose the ones that were rejected. And that tells us again, it's a reinforcement that um, the Lord is always about obedience, not potential. And so the good thing is, is that when we understand that, we can also realize that where the Lord guides, he always provides. This is why Jesus said, um, when you pray, and he talks about the Lord's prayer, and he says, give us this day our daily bread. And again, like I shared last week, the first thing that happens to um, Saul as he is told he's going to be the king, one of the first things he ha happens to him is he, he gets a meal, a free meal. As he's following through what the Lord has said, as he's following the word of the Lord, the Lord is confirming 
and providing bread for him to eat along the journey. And so today what we're going to look at um, is we're going to look at the glorious moment in Saul's life. And I think it's really important for us to do this because we're going to beat Saul up for the next few weeks. I mean, if you're going to be a guy in the Bible, you don't want to be Saul. Like, because he just blows it. But he has a moment um, that, that he has an experience where he, like, steps into, and he has a few of them. But for, when we look at him, really what we see is a lot of what not to do. And then when we look at David, we see a lot of what to do. And so that's why I think that in some ways there's a little bit of a parallel in the Christian life is the old man could be referred to as Saul and the new man is much like David. He's living a life uh, like David was living. Now, David wasn't perfect, but he's striving and following hard after the Lord. So as we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 11, I'm going to unpack this story and we'll just like read through it and understand the story and then I'll give you some takeaways uh, and we'll receive communion, and you can go home and barbecue and enjoy your day off. How's that sound? Amen on that one, right? All right, here we go. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. So what's going on here? This is a tribe in Israel. It's an, on the outer, like, it's on the edge. And here's a guy who's an enemy, and he comes in, and he besieges this, this particular tribe. Um, and as he does that, it says, And all the men of Jabesh said to him, Make a treaty with us, and we will be subject to you. Okay, so there's a lot going on here. Like the, the king had already been chosen, but here is an attack that is made upon this particular tribe in the nation of Israel. And he besieges the city, and they have no wherewithal to do battle against him. And so they immediately say, Make a treaty with us. But Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on one condition, that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on Israel. That is not a good deal, right? Boop. Every, just pluck it out, man. And they would do this in the ancient world. And so like, this is, whoa, man. Like, this is, it's, what do the guys do? They can't fight the guy. And so the elders of Jabesh said to him, give us seven days. So we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. Like that is a hopeless situation. Like give us seven days, man, and let us at least try to figure something out here. And if nobody comes, we'll let you pluck out our right eye and we will be subject to you. <laughs> that is a bad day if you're having to agree to terms like that. And so when the messengers, and so he agreed to it. He said, I'll give you those, those seven days. And it says, when the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. There's so much going on here, man. I see this. Here's a guy, like their hometown, they just were told that one of the guys in their hometown was going to be the king of Israel. And when they get this news, they've got the leader of Israel living in their town. And when the news comes to them, they weep aloud. You know why? Because they knew not only was it bad for Jabesh Gilead, it was bad for them because that dude was coming after them next. And so they were feeling hopeless as well. And so uh, they all wept aloud. And just then, Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen. What is the king of Israel doing behind the oxen coming back from plowing the fields? Like there's, a, again, we see, well, well like he probably spending a lot of time thinking 
about what he's going to do and about how he blew it previously, and he's looking for a moment. But that is what he was doing. He was out plowing um, with, with his oxen. And he asked, what is wrong with the people? Why are they weeping? Then they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said. And when Saul heard their words, the spirit of God came upon him in power, and he burned with anger, and he took a pair of oxen. He cut them into pieces, and he sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they turned out as one man. And when Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. So 330,000 people responded to this tactic that um, uh, Saul had and, and used this strategy to rally the troops. And they told the messengers who had come, he said, say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, by the time the sun is hot tomorrow, which is high noon, by the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be delivered. And when the messengers went and reported this to the men of, of Jabesh, they were elated. And they said to the Ammonites, tomorrow we will surrender to you and you can do to us whatever seems good to you. So they got their deliverance, but they went and they told the guys, it's okay, tomorrow we, we, we will surrender to you, which was a good setup because the guys thought, man, I knew they wouldn't fight us. And we're, so we're going to take all of Israel is kind of what they were thinking. And they had a party that night. But then it says, the next day Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and they slaughtered them until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. And so then the people said to Samuel, who, who was it? Who was it that asked, shall Saul reign over us? Remember last week we learned about that. There were a couple of trouble, there were some troublemakers. And so the people were wanting to know who those people were. Bring these men to us and we will put them to death. But Saul said, no one shall be put to death today. For this day the Lord has rescued Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there reaffirm the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and confirmed Saul as king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. And so what we have here is we have, remember the anointing? He was set aside and Samuel said to him, I've got a message from God for you. He anointed him as the king. Then we have the crowning where he brought him back and chose him by lot. And the, the Lord had him cast the lots and he was chosen and they crowned him as king. And now because of this event happening and him executing his leadership, he's having an inauguration. And so it's spreading among Israel that the king has risen. And so he's, he's having his one moment where he does things exactly right. So what are the takeaways when we look at that, okay? So we see one, we see why, how, why the Lord said for them to be so aggressive against other nations because the people were wicked, man, and they were, they were, like, they were bad enough that they were going to punish them by taking away uh, even their right eye. And so let me give you a few takeaways that I think are, are encouraging. I find very encouraging to me and hopefully are encouraging to you about how does this, how do you work this truth into your life? Here's the first way. The enemy's opposition is always an opportunity for de divine deliverance. Okay. The enemy's opposition is always an opportunity for divine deliverance. I think it is fascinating what Nahash's name means, serpent. 
Like, so like the Lord is just communicating to us through the Old Testament. And so we look at the Old Testament. This guy's name is Nahash, the serpent. And we know that we face an enemy, Satan, and he's often de- described as, as a serpent. And so when we look at that, I think the takeaway is that we can realize is that we too face opposition just like the Israelites faced opposition. And so this guy tries to make a treaty with them. And he says, I'm going to gouge out your right eye. Now, why was that insignificant? Because if he left the left eye, they could still do work. And during the ancient time, they held their shields over um, their left eye, and they peeked over their right eye. So if you pluck their right eye out, they can't go to battle. Because this is the way they did battle in the ancient world. And so what what I learned from that, and I apply that to my life, is that the enemy that we face is always trying to take away our kingdom vision. He's always opposing us, and he's always trying to take away our vision for the kingdom. And so what we must do is not get discouraged by opposition, but realize that we are in the midst of the battle. The Apostle Paul said that we are in a spiritual battle that we cannot see. We're battling against forces. And so people that we get frustrated with are not the problem. It is opposition and the, uh, of the enemy. And the more serious that you get about serving the Lord, the greater the opposition will be. This is our working on your mind. This is why the Apostle so Paul says, take every thought captive and judge it in the name of Christ. Pull it down. Don't think that way. He'll start working you over about whether or not you have the potential to disciple and should you disciple or should you be in discipleship? Should you be growing? Should you be helping other people in the world to come to know Jesus? What a ridiculous question. Like, but we, but we do that, do we not? Like we, we, that's the enemy, that's opposition coming against us. But here's the encouraging thing about it. It's just an opportunity for the Lord to deliver us in the midst of the opposition. Just like the little lady showed up and made me a key, Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Like, and you can unlock and loose things on earth as they are in heaven. And so we're, that's what we're to be about the business of doing is use, being used of the Lord. And so the enemy's like, don't be discouraged when you face, or you're facing opposition. As a matter of fact, you should be discouraged if you're not facing opposition. Because it means that you're not active in the work of the king's business. Because when you get active in the work of the king's business, you will just face opposition right and left, all around you all the time because you're, you're moving forward and the enemy is concerned about you. If you're not doing anything for the kingdom, the enemy does not want to wake you up. He wants to leave you right there in that comfortable, cozy place where you can continue on living just like you're living. And so be encouraged when you face opposition and look for the opportunity of the Lord to provide the divine deliverance in your life. Here's the second thing. Righteous Anger and holy fear, scratch is out because that's improper grammar, right in R, okay? Righteous anger and holy fear are healthy. Those are healthy responses, okay? When we have righteous anger and holy fear, that is a healthy response for us uh, as believers. Righteous anger, or righteous controlled anger, I should say, uh, towards sin is a healthy response for us. When we see sin, and sin is rebellion from the Lord, and we get angry about it, that is a healthy response for each one of us to have. We should get angry about sin. We should get angry about sin in our own lives. We should get angry about sin in the lives of those we love. We should be angry about sin in the lives, uh, in, the, in our culture, 
It should make us angry. There should be a righteous anger that wells up inside of us when we see sin around us. And we also um, need to understand that this righteous anger and this holy fear, it motivates and it unifies us. The fear of the Lord. See, so here's what, what, what Saul did. He, he cuts up his oxen, which I think there's a lot going on there. One is he's saying, I'm leaving that life. I'm supposed to be the king. Let me butcher these oxen right now and step into my, like my royal position that the Lord has said that I am. So he butchers the oxen, he cuts them in pieces, he sends them throughout the tribes of Israel, and as he opens them up, they come with a message, if you don't show up to do battle for the Lord, we're going to take your oxen, and we're going to cut them up just like this. And everybody's like, I can't make a living if he cuts up my oxen. And, they, and they, they, the Lord used it um, in their lives to create not fear of Saul, but a, a holy fear of the Lord. And so I think that's a, a very healthy thing for us to have, but it's a very confusing thing because we should not be afraid of God like we're afraid of the policeman catching us. Like, like we shouldn't have an, un, like the, the Lord is always looking to smack us on the head, but there should be a holy fear. I have a holy fear of the Lord that if I walk in disobedience and sin, that things are not going to work out good for me. And that motivates me to not walk in uh, disobedience and sin. If you do not have a holy fear of the Lord, you can just jump right down in there in the, the, the slime and, and just muddle around like a pig. Like That's why Jesus says, don't cast my pearls before swine. So like, we, like a holy fear helps us to go, man, I need to avoid sin in my life. I need to recognize sin. I need to talk to the Lord on a daily basis so that my eyes are more sensitive to the sin that may be in my life that I'm, I'm, I may not uh, realize. And as I'm in the word and listening to him and talking to him through prayer, then he starts showing me areas of my life that need to be trimmed away. And so when we have a holy fear, of the Lord, it is motivating and it's unifying. And what we see happening among the Israelites is they, they are, they've never had a king and all of a sudden they have this king and he's leading them out to battle and the fear of the Lord makes these people good subjects, it makes them good soldiers, and it makes them good friends for the community. Like, we're not going to let your eyes get gouged out by the enemy. We're going to step in and protect you. And that's what happens in the kingdom of the Lord. As far as the church goes, when we have a holy fear of the Lord and we have a righteous anger towards sin, we come together and we protect one another and we help one another along in this journey. And so, so we see that um, the, the enemy's opposition is always an opportunity for divine deliverance. We see righteous anger and holy fear are healthy. And the third takeaway is divine deliverance always produces joy. It always produces joy. Uh, when, like these people, whenever they heard that there was going to be deliverance, man, they were just elated. It was like me, man, when that lady said, I could make that key. I was like, thank you, Jesus. You know, like it's good. It's everything's going to be okay. And you're, you're feeling all this pressure. I bet you that lady had no idea that when she said yes, that one day she would be talked about in church, right? But she was my deliverer in that moment. And so that's what happened for these people, man. They were in this desperate situation. All of a sudden, they knew deliverance was coming. They were not alone. It was not hopeless. And, and then everybody got excited, and they got behind the king's rally cry, and it produced joy. And as they went in, and they attacked um, the enemy, and they, they wiped them out. Then they end up having this huge celebration. And so here's what the takeaway is for that, is when we are walking in obedience— 
we will experience deliverance. Like we're going to experience obedience, or like we're going to experience opposition. But oh man, I'm just going to walk. I'm going to walk it out and I'm going to step into that. I know I'm a little bit afraid, but I'm going to step into it. And as I step into it, I'm going to see the Lord show up. And guess what happens when he shows up? Like I see him deliver me. And I know I was not alone in that moment because I was trusting in the unseen God whom I could not see, but I watched my circumstances in the midst of my struggle get shifted and God delivered me in the midst of it. And all of a sudden, the unseen God that I cannot see is showing up all around me. And I just get a little giddy inside because I'm producing the fruit of the Spirit called joy in my life. And so now joy is that quality that Jesus gives you. He says, when we are obedient, his joy will be completed in us. Like that's what he, you read John chapter 15, I believe it is. He talks about his joy being complete and full. It's either in 15, 16, or 17. But the idea is, is that when we're walking out in obedience, the Lord pours forth that spiritual joy that cannot be produced by anything in the physical world. Like today, as I preach to you, like I'm, I talk about, every time I talk about joy, I just feel more of it running through me. And I think it is the Lord going, my people need this. My people need to understand this, Jimmy. Give it to them. And then joy is like, like if, I, if I don't have joy in my life, I just get discouraged. And I always recognize when the joy is not supernaturally being produced in my life, it is because there are areas in my life where I'm either disobedient like to the Lord, I've compromised my time to meet with him in the morning and abide and be in his word. And so the joy is, is not being produced in my life. But as I'm walking in obedience, man, he's just pouring it out in my life. And that is the ability to engage in the opposition because I know my deliverer is going to show up and he just keeps producing joy in my life. So, so be encouraged. Deliverance always produces joy and joy is essential for living the Christian life and following Jesus. So as we land this plane here, and I lead you up to the big idea. Here's the, here's the thing. The Lord still rescues and saves. And the cool thing is, he uses us to do it. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You see, as you study the Old Testament, it's all about showing us the story of the gospel through a nation and how they had a need of a deliverer. But we see the deliverer showing up in spiritual form. They're called Christophanies in the Old Testament where Jesus shows up. Or even as the Holy Spirit comes over uh, Saul in this amazing way to uh, uh, equip him for this task. We see this story unfolding, and it's about what is going to happen for us in the New Testament. We see a king, and then we are called a royal priesthood and holy nation. We see priests, and that's what we're called. And so we have the priesthood of the believer where we can walk and be in fellowship with the Lord. And so he uses us. He uses us in the kingdom the same way that he used that locksmith in my life to help me get back on the road. The problem is, is there are too many people when the Lord is calling say, yeah, I can't get there today. Yeah, no, I, I got plans. 
When we're supposed to be the locksmiths in the kingdom that are unlocking things and the Lord is saying, hey, I I need you to go over here. I need you to do this. I need you to love on that person. I need you to step into this obedience. And and look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. This is what he says about you. If you know the Lord, you've you've accepted Jesus as your personal Savior. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of of darkness into his wonderful light. Like, that's what we are. And so my job is to help you to understand that. It's not just my job to declare the praises. Like, it's all of our job. Like, we are a royal nation, a holy, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. All of us. Like, the only difference between me and you is that I get paid to shepherd you and equip you and teach you what I just taught you. That's the only difference. There's nothing more holy about me than there is you. Because we all rely on Jesus for our holiness. We are all a royal priesthood. We are all a holy nation. If you know the Lord, that's what you are. And so as we look at this, here's the thing. When yielded to God, this is what we see. When yielded to God, Saul became an expert at something in which he had no experience. Battle. Don't, like when we meet the guy, Shay told us he's chasing donkeys. That's what he's doing. He's running around looking for donkeys. And then we see him again this week, and what's he doing? He's coming back out of the farming field. He was a farmer. But when he yielded to the Lord, he became a warrior. And so what we see um, is that in this one night, this is amazing, okay? So he marched 60 miles in a day and night with all of these troops. He went from leading two oxen plowing dirt to automatically leading all of these men on a 60 mile journey, divided them up in three divisions, said you're gonna attack from this direction, you're gonna attack from this direction, we're gonna attack from this direction, we're gonna surprise these guys because we've already sent word that they're gonna surrender, they're gonna be partying all night, probably wasted, and we're just gonna go in there and clean house, and that's exactly what they did. So invaded the camp of, the, of, of Nahash's um, and, the, and the Ammonites that there, no two of them were left together. They're, they had no unity totally disrupted them. And so here's the deal. This is true for us. When we yield to the Lord, he makes us better than we are. And one of the things I pray every day is like, Lord, as I go out today, make me better than I am. Like, I know that's what you delight in doing. All that is ahead of me, the people that I'm going to encounter, the things that I'm going to say, like, help me to have more wisdom than I really possess as a human. Use me, give me your wisdom, and let it come out of me. And this is what the Lord does. This is the productivity of the kingdom. This is why he says, don't be fixed. Like he said, don't worry about what you eat, what you'll drink. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of Christ. All these things will be added unto you. Like, it's like, don't worry about those things. Worry about me, and I'll make you better than you are. I'll make you supernaturally productive within the kingdom. And so here's um, the big idea. Yield to the Lord. Right? Just yield to him. That, that's all he asks for us, is just to yield. Yield today, whatever he asks you to do. Yield tomorrow whatever he asks you to do. If you've never yielded your life to him and said, I believe that Jesus is the son of God who conquered death, hell, and the grave. I, and, 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 and if you've never done that, Jesus said, 
if you want to see the kingdom of Christ, you must be born again. And the only way to be born again is to believe in his son whom he sent to save the world. And so you yield to that truth and you're born again. You become a, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You join that, that following of the Lord. Um, if it's, if it's um, obedience in some other area and he's speaking to, a, to you about it, just quit doing battle with him. Understand the opposition is coming from somewhere else. Seek out the truth and yield to the Lord and just keep on doing that. that and that's, what, that's even what discipleship is all about is learning how to over and over yield to what the Lord is asking you to do. One of the things we ask all the time is, what is the Lord saying to you? Not what, are, like, not what cool thing are you studying in the Bible. As you're reading the Bible, what is the Lord saying to you? Well, he's saying that I need to be a better husband. Here's the second question we ask. What are you doing about it? Why are we asking that question? Because the whole thing of Christianity is yielding in obedience to what the Lord is asking us to do. And that's, what, that's how we make disciples, because he will tell us, I need you to step into this person's life. I'm starting to work. I'm starting to soften their hearts up. They don't know me. I want them to know me. I'm going to send you in there. And they're a person of peace that you can go talk to, and I want you to be the messenger. Oh, Lord, can you send Jimmy? Right? That's not what he's asking you to do. He's saying, I want you to go because you are the one that I'm going to use. And man, you're nervous, you're worried, and then as you step into it, like, man, the Lord is just going to unload joy on you. I mean, I, one, I'll close kind of with this. A, a real, when, I, when I was younger and answered the call to preach, and the Lord was just filling me up with stuff, like, I was nervous, man. I was just wired up. and like, But I knew, man, the Spirit of the Lord was in me. And I'd, I'd been walking with Him and being obedient in a number of ways. And, and so I just stepped into it, man. And I got up. And I started preaching, man. And it just came out of me. And as it was coming out of me, man, the Lord was just, this joy was filling me up. And I left. And I was like, the, I could not believe the, the amount of joy the Lord was pouring out in my life. And it all started when I started yielding and saying, man, I'm going to quit battling the Lord. I'm just going to yield to him in obedience. And, and the Lord's just been doing it ever since. There was such joy in my life to yield to the Lord when he said, I want you to move to Overland Park. Listen, man. Like, I like tools. Like, I like to work on stuff. I like horses. And I put those things on Craigslist, man. And I smiled as they flew away. Like I watched my welder go to a guy and I was just happy. I wasn't happy that I didn't have a welder. But I was happy because I knew I was yielding to the Lord. And I just watched that stuff go and I was like, oh, this stuff doesn't own me. You own me, Lord. And my joy just, man, it just flooding like my heart. And so all that stuff, and I'm not like, obviously, I'm, I bought me a new air compressor the other day. So like, there's nothing wrong with tools. I'm not saying that. I'm saying like, I had to let go of stuff in order to be able to move here. The Lord still hasn't given me my shop back. One day he will, right? But the, the, the joy in that obedience. So I want you to understand that success, okay? Success is dependent on devotion to the Lord, not position, leadership style, wisdom, age, or strength. Real leadership is yielding to the Lord and letting him guide you.
That's what it means to be a leader in the kingdom. And so we're going to see in the coming weeks, and this is so sad, we're going to see in the coming weeks that failing to yield to the Lord cost Saul what mattered most. What he, and he was trying to hold on to it. But it was the devotion and the obedience this is what the Lord was looking for. And so he, he just, and man, his life just spirals out of control. And then there's a young guy that the Lord is raising up. And what's special about him is he knows how to yield. And so today, as we take communion, I want you to, I want you to think about, am I yielding to the Lord? Do I know how to do that? And so the first step for you today may be to pray a prayer. It's like, Lord, show me how to yield. Show me how to yield. Maybe to yield to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe to yield in obedience to something he's asking you to do. But man, when you yield, what a wonderful experience it is in life. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.